You know, the church culture has its own ethos, just like the culture outside of church. We call that secularism today. The secular people have a faith belief. They believe in all kinds of other things, but we're trying to draw that group into what we call our faith community. And within the faith community, there's some things we don't want to talk about. Sex is one of them. I'm not talking about it, so you don't have to leave. You're okay. We talked about it last week. So if you didn't hear it, you should listen to it. I think Jeremy started a conversation, and here's the conversation piece that I got, that sex is good, but it's not God. And our culture says sex is prevalent and everywhere, and if you're not part of it, you're missing out. And we're trying to combat what God says. So if you get a chance, I would look into it. The other thing that we say in the, the church world is don't talk about doubt because that will spread faster than COVID or H1N1 or any other virus. Because I've been in church culture and somebody's like, I have a doubt or this or that. And the church will rebuke. I get that away from me. Get behind me, ye Satan. Right? Because we're so afraid of doubt because of our own life and the way that we live. But here's what you need to know. There's more doubt than ever in God and the church in our culture today. More than ever. The United States, we had a missionary, his name was Pastor Willie, and he spoke to the high school students. If you're high school, we've got a group that's uh, meeting on Wednesdays at 7 called Fireside. He came to the Fireside group and he said, you know what makes the United States great? And this is a guy that doesn't live in the United States. He says, it's your guys' country believes in God. I'm like, not anymore, brother. We don't do that anymore. Listen to the numbers. In 1972, 94% of people in our country said they believed in God. 94%. It might even been 96. I might have those backwards. But 50 years later, it's now down around 80%, 79%. So not a huge drop. 15%, but that's a big drop. If, you, if your income goes down 15%, you'll feel it. I promise you that. But listen, the numbers start multiplying. I don't know how well you know numbers, but once one generation doesn't hear the gospel and the next generation, it says by 2050, and that's just 30 years from now, 30, uh, 28 years, 27 years, it's gonna be half of our country because we are a post-Christian country now. And if you're looking for what that looks like, go to Europe, and you, when you go to Europe, you do a lot of sightseeing, and you go to a bunch of churches they don't use anymore, you know? And so that's where we're heading, where the church is irrelevant. And listen, I'm super blessed to be a part of the youth group today, because it really is in exciting me to go, hey, God is still powerful and can do wonderful works, and I love what Kim was saying about this next generation. We are doing a sermon series called Faith and Culture. Why? because we are trying to teach the culture or show the culture what God says about faith. What does God say about sex? What does God say about the Bible? What does God say about community and money and all of that? We are trying to show the culture, hey, if you come here, we're going to give you a pretty easy, applicable message that can change your life by honoring and loving God. And that's what we're doing here today. Today's culture says this, though. So, again... I'm hanging out with uh, some young people during the week, and it's not necessarily our kids, but they're saying, here's what they're saying, that church is boring, it's irrelevant, and you Christians, or the people that have the Bible and call themselves Christians don't even follow their own principles anyways. 
That kind of stings me because I don't believe that's what we do here, but I know that it is happening and I also know it happens here, but that's why we're struggling today and it's true because humans run the church. And it's funny, people don't like the church and you know why we struggle with the church? Because it's a bunch of humans. It's not a building, it's a people that come. We, we meet in a community center and it's not about what we are, it's who we are in Christ, that's the church. And what happens is when humans run something, they have an agenda and that agenda is to do whatever they wanna do, including us. And what happens is, is when we focus on agendas and not God, we tend to slowly drift out of the will of God and out of God and into human, human ways. And there's all kinds of human traditions in the Christian church and we just don't see it and we gotta combat that. So today let's talk about doubt. We're not afraid to talk about doubt at this church just like we're not afraid to talk about sex. This is not a favorite topic because everybody doesn't want to get into this but we'll talk about some numbers in just a second. But the first time we see doubt in the Bible is way back in the garden. If you go back into the garden, there's this moment where uh, Satan comes into play and God gives a very clear command. And here's the command. Don't eat of the tree. If you do, there's consequences. Pretty simple. Don't eat of the tree. And if you do, there's consequences. And so what happens is Satan slithers in and he says, hey, and what he does in those words is he brings doubt for the first time into the world. The first act of Satan is to bring doubt and it's been in our society since then. And so that's what we're fighting. So if you've ever had doubt, if you doubt what I'm saying or what God is saying in his words, it makes sense because that's Satan. He has dominion. He doesn't have ultimate power over this world, but he has dominion and he wants to create doubt in the way that you live your life. And so it's important that we understand that. And here's what Satan says. Did God really say you can't eat fruit from that tree? Well, yeah, Eve says, absolutely. And so here's what happens. He asks this question and all of a sudden Eve gets this little bit of doubt in her head. It's like, uh, it's not as big as a mustard seed because faith is a mustard seed, but it's in there, right? And in that doubt, she does this. Listen to what the Eve does. It's really important because Eve replies back to him God's command. Yeah, God said don't eat and then there's consequences. So she gives back God's word. So we sometimes think well, all I need to do is have God's word and I need to re you know, replay that and everything will be better. But the truth is that's not what happens. What happens is Eve gets this lack of confidence and Satan brings this double portion of doubt in her life. And he denies that and he says, surely you won't die. This is from the text, Genesis chapter three, read it. Surely you won't die if you take a bite of that fruit. And the truth was, she wasn't gonna die a physical death, she was gonna die a spiritual death, which is a big difference. And we're all heading to both deaths, and in Christ, we only have to die once, that's the physical death. And so what happens is, Satan uses doubt to give her the lack of confidence in God's word and God's uh, uh, consequences, and because of that, she ends up falling, she eats from the fruit, and then she says, man, and the man says, well, yeah, I'm gonna eat fruit too because I ain't gonna hang out with her and be disobedient to her. And so the man falls as well, and he is the one punished more because he fell to a human, and, uh, and uh, Eve didn't, Eve fell to a serpent. So let's get a working definition of doubt. I'm a, I'm a big di dictionary guy, I love the, th uh, I was gonna say, I can't even say it because I'm dyslexic. No, I won't even say it. Let's just look at the dictionary. 
because I'm going to mess it up. Here's the definition. To lack confidence or to consider un- unlikely. You need to understand that. To lack confidence or to consider unlikely. That's the idea of what we're going through, and that's doubt. When we are on doubt, when we, when we live in doubt, we are simultaneously, within, a, within a, a breath, believing in something and instantly believing in something else. Simultaneously, we are trusting in something else. Think about Eve. Eve was like, no, this is what God said. There is consequences. And instantly, with a little bit of lack of confidence, all of a sudden, she believes something else, and then she takes a bite of the apple, and she believes him instead of God. It's an incredible place in the Bible because we don't realize how much doubt is in our own lives. So here's some numbers that you need to know. Two out of three, if you're a math major, that's 66% say that their believers have had a spiritual crisis. That means that they've had a spiritual crisis in their life where they doubted that they didn't believe in God at all. So two-thirds of the church, the believers, didn't believe, and one-fourth of those people still are doubting today. They've never really made it back. So a good group of the church has doubt in their life. Uh, The most common response to spiritual doubt, guess what it is? Don't come to church anymore. The place that's gonna help you with your doubt, let's not go there anymore. But listen, if you're hungry and you got doubt, you're gonna be able to make it. You don't quit going to the restaurant or quit eating food. But in church, that's what we do. We got doubt, ah, I'm not gonna go to church anymore. I don't think it's really uh, real or whatever. The idea here is, this is what God wants to do. And one out of four, this is the new numbers today. One out of four in this room and online today have doubt themselves right now. So look around, but don't really look at them in their eyes. Just look around real quick. Somebody's in here that doesn't really. And so the idea here is to deal with doubt and to not make it a negative thing, to deal with doubt and say it's okay. God's gonna tell you, and you're gonna see as we go through this, one of the great men in the Bible have doubt, and it's okay. So here's, here's what I wanna ask you this question. So what happens when you have crisis? What happens when you have a challenge in your life? And what do you do? What the idea here is COVID comes, a political uh, election comes, uh, you know, lose a job, something comes into your life. What do you do and, and when crisis comes? And the, the question is, the circumstances around you, what happens when th- things go bad in your life? Do you believe in God and God's word and his truth? Or do you allow something like the enemy to bring in a little bit of doubt and then you start to believe the lies? And so the question is, do you run to God or do you run away from God? So the first part of the message today, we're talking about this idea of doubt and we put the blame on Satan, but Satan's not the only problem. You and I also have a big part in this because we receive God's word. We hear the message. You know how many times I hear people say, man, that message was just for me and I see them in two years. It happens all the time. And I'm like, oh man, you was like you were in my living room speaking to me or something. And I'm like, maybe, but probably not. But then they're like, oh, and then I see them in the grocery store and they're hiding in the aisles like this. We have our part in it when we need to be held accountable to God's words as well. And so here's what we see. We, here's what we see is um, there's a story in the Bible pre-Jesus, right? Uh, before Jesus is born, and it's the pre-Christmas story, and it's when Zachariah is visited by an angel, and he's an older man, and he's got a beautiful wife named Elizabeth, and uh, 
he has this encounter with God. He's visited by this angel. And if you want to look it up, it's Luke chapter 1, verses 11 to 17. And he was told, he's like, hey, Zach, bro, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, what? Are you? I was just like Jeremy Cage right there. Did you see that? I told myself I would never do that ever on stage. And so he doubts this message like, are you kidding me? I can't have a kid. You know how old I am and you see how, uh, I, I, I said this in first service, you see how wrinkly my wife is? But you can't say that in church, so just act like that didn't say. But he's basically saying there's no way and logically he thought we're too old to have a child and because of that doubt, you know what the response is? The angel basically touches his soul somehow and he can't speak until the baby is born he, he's not able to speak all of a sudden his tongue doesn't have words and for nine and a half ten months because now the, the child is coming uh he can't speak until god fulfills the promise of this child and the day that the child's born they're like what do you want to call him and they think they're going to call him zachariah like his dad and he writes down john and from that moment he could start to speak and here's the thing that we need to understand. Zachariah doubted God's ability to overcome natural obstacles. You know, the thing about faith is that there's things in this world that are natural that God can overcome. He says, if you want a mountain to move, you need to have that faith of a mustard seed and that mountain will move. However that works, however God is gonna do it, he can move the mountain. I know that because I've had three or four big mountains in my life that God had to move. And he's physically destroyed them. Not all of them, but a couple of them. And he's chipping away at other ones so that God can work. And so we need to understand that God can overcome some of those things. And many of us today struggle that God uh, won't and doesn't overcome. And so because of that, we sit in doubt and we sit in, in agony and fear thinking that God's not really doing anything. Anytime we allow our head, our human reasoning, to overthink God and overshadow our faith, we're believing in the enemy's lies. I am so stupid. I, when they sing that song, you know, dance like a fool, I am so foolish in my walk because I believe God can do anything. I, I believe God can do anything, you know? I, I got a text from a friend yesterday. Uh, I, 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 I got an opportunity to be with this lady's mom uh, a couple days ago and, you know, she had, she had a, a lump and uh, uh, in her lung, not a lump, a spot. And then we prayed about it and she got on her knees the other night and prayed about it and it's gone. The doctor's like, I don't know where it went. Now I'm dumb enough to believe that can happen. That's why they put me on stage. They're like, this guy's a fool. He'll say anything about God. And that's the idea. Remember, if you were here on our Easter message, I, I gave you this. It's like, no matter how logical our human reasoning, here's what God says. God made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Natural obstacles, it looks foolish. But listen, we believe that God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for God. Everything is impossible for man. That's what we believe. Faith is trusting in God even when his plans go against human reasoning. And I know many of you right now have something humanly uh, uh, reasonable that says God can't change. But I promise you, if you believe it, he can. And it probably won't come in the way that you want it to happen because he doesn't do it in our way. He does it in his way. 
So what are we trying to do? We are trying to get our culture, as we're talking about faith and culture, we're trying to get our culture to run to the Lord and turn back. And we believe that God is gonna do something so big in Ventura County, and we're gonna be right in the middle of it. We believe the schools and the colleges all over Ventura County are gonna explode, and that's why we have these seats. And so we're asking people to join in, but what do we do when they come in? We don't, we don't tell them to repent, we let God tell them to repent, because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit Spirit, which is here speaking to us today through a, a foolish man like me. And so the idea here is to get our culture to hear the gospel message and turn from their ways and follow God. That's the idea. And so that's exactly this, this man, Zachariah, his son. He had a son named John, and that's exactly what John the baptizer did. He was a baptizer. He was a forerunner of Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a second, what that means. But he was a forerunner before Jesus came. There needed to be someone to kind of make, make waves so that Jesus could come. And so that's what John did. John was born and then he went into the wilderness. It said that he ate, bu he ate bugs and honey. I don't really like either one of those. And so not very exciting to me. And then he wore weird clothing, camel hair, and he looked like the old prophet. And he shouted, you know, the Lord is coming. He's like that guy on the corner. The end is near. And he says, turn to the Lord, repent of your ways. And then he would baptize him. And the Jewish people believed that water, as we believe, can, can cleanse you. And that's what they would do. It was a full immersion. They were fully cleansed. And it was in the Jordan River. And a couple of us have been in the Jordan River. And it's freezing. Don't think it's not. It is freezing. And it's amazing and powerful, but very cold. And uh, whew, we need the Spirit of God to stir up them waters because it was really cold because it was like 8 in the morning. And so here's what happens. So we're talking about John the Baptist, Mike. I mean, he's one of the great characters in, in the Bible uh, when you do it. And so here's what happens. He's baptizing people, and one day Jesus walks up, and he's got these, this cool robe, and he's got these cool sandals, and he walks up, and, and John sees him, and he's like, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who he is, and that's what he says. Behold, this is the guy that's going to change everything in our world. This is the man, and he has this incredible encounter, and then there's this voice from heaven, and it says this. Uh, this is my Darth Vader. Anybody know Star Wars? Luke, I am your father. No, uh, Jesus, this is my son, Jesus. Sorry, I love, uh, you know, come on, Mandalorian. That stuff is so good right now. This is the way. So uh, the truth, the way, and the life. That's what I meant, right? So um, how, how do I get to this place? I have no idea where my head's going to go. And so he gets to there, and he has this communicate. There's this communication from God from heaven, and he says this. He says, this is my son, who I'm well pleased. And ultimately, he says, believe in him and follow him. Be obedient. Church, our job is to be obedient. Church, my job is to help you be obedient. And the way that I do that is I'm obedient and say, hey, it's possible. Because if you guys know me, I am as squirrely as it gets in the world in my head. And so for me to be obedient is a radical miracle. Even just to follow the, I don't follow the street laws all the time, but most of the time that's a miracle in myself. And so for me to be obedient is a miracle. And that's what happens, John John hears the voice. People in the world hear the voice. Some say it was like an earthquake. The point is God spoke. So he has this incredible encounter. And then from that point on, Jesus's ministry starts to increase. At one point, uh, John the Baptist's uh, group of people are like, hey, this Jesus guy's baptizing more people up the river. And they're kind of jealous. And he's like, 
hey, here's what you need to know. Jesus needs to rise and I need to become less. And that's what happens. John becomes less and less because Jesus' ministry was from God and he was here to anoint God and to point us to God. And so here's what happens. John's ministry is diminishing, but he's still telling people, hey, you're sinning. Stop sinning. And you know what he did? He went to the king of the Jews, uh, Herod, and he says, hey, you, you killed your brother's wife, and, uh, your brother, and now you married his wife. You're not supposed to do that. That's wrong. And you know what? Herodias said, I don't want this guy shouting that in the streets. And so they arrested him and put him in jail. And that's where our story begins. Luke chapter 7, we're in the jail cell. And uh, this is what it says, Luke 7. It says this. The disciples of John the Baptist, 718, John the Baptist told uh, John about everything Jesus was doing. So God called for, uh, for two disciples. And he, or no, John called for two disciples and he sent them to ask the Lord, uh, sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah and have uh, we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? You know what, I'm gonna just turn my mic off. Here's what I want you to do for the next 15 seconds. Ask God to continue to speak to you or speak to you for the first time. I believe foolishly that he can speak to you right now. So I'm gonna turn the mic off, just bow your head and ask God speak to me and then I'll, I'll join back in. Father, we just stand in awe of who you are. And we ask in your powerful name, Jesus Christ, that you wash away doubt and that you rise us up in faith. Heal our hearts where they're broken. Minister to that place that's holding us back. And I ask that you break down walls so that we can see you for who you really are. In your name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for joining and praying with me. I want to ask you a question. It's rhetorical. Don't really need an answer, but I want you to think about it. What causes doubt in your life? And my life, here's where, and what I can say is usually the circumstances surrounding me is where it causes me doubt. That's kind of where I really kind of sit. When things happen, circumstances dictate my doubt. And in, in church, there, what I've experienced, I've been a pastor 17 years, as many years as I've been married to my beautiful wife, I've been in ministry as a pastor of the church. And here's the three things that I see over and over that have people caused doubt and actually run away from God. Number one is death, super hard. We've had a lot of death in our church. Number two is a divorce. Divorce happens. It's part of life. It's not something God excited about, but I know that he can make something out of nothing through that. I've seen it in my own life. And number three, it's disease. And there's all kinds of disease. Disease of addiction and all kinds of other things like cancer. Those three uh, big D things that happen in your life also help and struggle with our doubt. So let me give you an example. And so let me make this clear. The person I'm talking to is not anybody that's ever been in this church, and then I'm gonna use an example of someone who's in this room today. But the first person's never been in the church, so don't look around and think, oh, I know who that is, because you don't. Only I do. But there's someone in Ventura County, who used to be uh, an elder, 
Uh, they would consider him a lay pastor. He did a lot of work at the church. He spoke every so often, but he was a dynamic character, almost more dynamic than the actual pastor. Super dynamic. And, um, you know, his wife was about, I don't know, 60 years old, 59, 60, 61 years old, young. I used to think she would be old when I was 30, but now that I'm 54, I'm like, man, she's young. You guys, some of you guys get that. Some of you guys right here, you don't get that. You'll get that one day. Um, he's young, and so his wife died, and she bouted some, some disease, and over a, a short period of time, um, short meaning like a year or so, his wife died, and they prayed that she would be healed. Well, what happened was this dynamic guy who raised his family in the church and baptized people and led people and was like leading the council and all of this stuff, you know what happened? He fell away from the church. He couldn't handle it. His, the death was so big and he was so angry that it ushered him right out of the church. It's incredible. You know what? I have a friend in this church. He's a dear friend. I've known him for years. Maybe more than anybody, longer than anybody I know in this room today. His name's Brother Lowell. He's sitting right here next to my friend Charlie. This man has gone through a couple of terrible things in his life, a lot of terrible things in his life, but he's lost a couple of sons. And you know what? I've been with him the day that they, one was on a Saturday and we were in church the next day. This guy celebrates God even in the darkest of days. And it's incredible. And I hope that I have that same courage to do. And that's what happens when we doubt, two things happen. We run away from God and like, what kind of God does that to me? Doesn't he know who I am? And then we have people that are like, God, I'm nothing without you. My life, my breath, I have no being. And the only way that I can breathe, and I talked to Lowell uh, one day uh, uh, when, when Marlon passed and his family's like, it's the only place I feel comfortable in my skin right now. And that's where his family was. His daughter's here, son-in-law. It's incredible. That's the idea that we're talking about. What do we do? John's two disciples found Jesus, verse 20, and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? So here's the thing. John's now doubting. Behold the Lamb of God. Oh, wait. Did you see what they posted on Facebook? I don't know. Is he really the Lamb? Does he really remove sin? Is he really the guy? Is he really the one from heaven? This guy had an incredible experience, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins. And now he's sitting in a jail cell and he's doubting. Like, are you the guy? Are you the guy? How all of a sudden does this guy start doubting? Well, that's what happens. John's locked up for a long time, and here's how the enemy works. You, I'm not a construction guy necessarily. I've done a little bit of construction in my life, but have you ever seen a foundation move by a little trickle of water? It starts with a little drip and drip, and sometimes it'll take 10 to 12 years, and all of a sudden one day you wake up and the whole driveway or the whole house is gone, and it started with a little trickle, and you're like, oh yeah, this has been happening for 12 years, right? 
And that's how God works. One little, uh, or that's how the enemy works. One little doubt breeds into other doubt and it starts spawning into your life. And that's what happens. John lacked confidence because the circumstances in his life. What did John want? John's like, hey, I'm Jesus' cousin. Shouldn't I get a free pass, a get out of jail card from the Monopoly game? I'm Jesus' cousin. I, I preached, be, you know, behold the Lamb of God, right? And get out of the way and get right with God. I was like, I'm preaching that. And here's what happens. When we do ministry, we act like we are better than everybody else and nothing bad should ever happen to us. And the truth is, God's like, no, I'm gonna actually use you and things are gonna happen because I want you to walk through them and show people how to be obedient to that. Does that make sense? And that's what John's supposed to do. But now he's like, are you the Messiah? John wants freedom, freedom for himself, freedom for the country, freedom for all these people. But the truth is, Jesus says, I'm gonna let you sit because I'm gonna use it as a teaching. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and restored sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are uh, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. And so here's what Jesus does. He tells a story, he's encounter, and then he kind of gives some back teaching to help all of us. And that's what he's going to do in these next few verses. Teach us. Here's what Jesus does. He points to scripture and says, listen, I am the fulfillment of scriptures. Isaiah 61, 1. He says, I am the fulfillment of scriptures. The blind see, Isaiah 61, 1. The lame walk, Isaiah 60, uh, uh, 35.6 the, the deaf hear Isaiah 35.5 uh, the dead live Isaiah 29.6 the good news being preached Isaiah 61 he's like listen I am the fulfillment so he's telling John's disciples and he's telling his disciples and he's telling the church today no I am this guy don't be confused and don't be misled. That's who I am and that's what he's telling us. He points to the gospel and he's reassuring the disciples. He's reassuring our church and he's reassuring uh, John's disciples. Hey, I am the Messiah. But here's the thing. He reminds us too that humble acts of service that he's done is done to the individual. How many times do you see Jesus doing mega preaching and radically changing a million people's lives in one blink of the eye? It doesn't happen. Even when he speaks to thousands, not everybody believes. Most of them walk away. Jesus is not interested in getting a stadium of 75,000 or 45 million people and, 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 and instantly in a blink of an eye changing them. Not that he can't. He's interested in the individual. Like he's speaking to someone today. He's speaking to their heart right now. But what, what John wants and what we want is we want a, a, a display of political deliverance. We want our country to be changed right now. We want the world to be changed right now. Well, that's not how God works. God works one person at a time, one issue at a time, one day at a time, one minute. And it's a little slow for me, honestly. I gotta be honest with you. Can you speed it up a little bit? And then he laughs at me and he's like, I'm going at such a pace you have no idea what you're talking about. And 
So then I try and shut up. I don't usually do it, but I try. And then at the end of this verse, he gives us another beatitude. There's eight beatitudes, and then he adds another one. It's not really a beatitude, but it says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. And basically what he's saying is those that don't fall away because of their circumstances are blessed. Blessed are those that can handle a trial, a disease, a divorce, or death, and stand up and rise up. And it, it might take 10 years. It might take 20 years. It might take a long time, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. And we see it here every week, and it's incredible. Here's what he continues. He's, he's now going to teach into our doubts. After John's disciple left, Jesus began teaching the crowd. He turns, he says, church, listen, this is what we know. What kind of man did you go see in the wilderness? What kind of man? Who was he? He says, was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? No. John was not one that, that would, would preach a new message going, oh, this is what they're talking on Facebook. Here's the number one trend on YouTube. Here's what they're talking on TikTok. Let me create a message so people will listen to that. No, he preached the same message. Do you guys realize Billy Graham did the same thing? He, speak the, he spoke the same message 60 years. Same message. God so loved the world, John 3.16. Every time, John 3.16, he spoke the same message. And John the Baptist, the same thing. Repent and turn from your ways and come back to God. Same message. Every time, he didn't sway, and that's what, he, that's what Jesus is talking about. Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you pretending to see a man dressed in skinny jeans with a red Jesus shirt on? That's me. Just making sure you guys are tracking with me. That's not me. That's not me. Uh, with expensive clothes, because these aren't expensive. No people, no, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. What, were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. He is the spiritual forerunner. Now, this is a long Bible study that can't be answered in, in, in five minutes. So I'm just going to give you a... John came as the spirit of Elijah. The Bible says that he is a forerunner. Someone came, needed to come before Jesus to make way so that the kingdom of God could reign. And that was John the Baptist. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He's called the forerunner of our faith. Verse 27, John is the man whom the scriptures referred to when they said, look, I am sending a messenger ahead of you and he will prepare a way before you. Malachi chapter three, verse one. Again, he's just quoting scripture saying, this is the guy. This is the one that we've been talking about. He came in the spirit of Elijah. And then he says, I tell you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That last little verse there is a little awkward, and so I'm not going to get into it because it could take, you know, a few minutes to explain. In essence, John the Baptist died before Jesus went to the cross, and so we also have this great connection with God. And that's all I'm going to say there because I don't want to detract from what the text is saying. And so here's what you need to know before we get into some application. Jesus is telling us, as he's telling John the Baptist's disciples, as he's telling the crowd that he's teaching, John the Baptist is a good man, even though he has doubts. So church, if you're online and if you just tuned in and you have doubts and you're not excited about what's happening in your life and what God is doing, it's okay to have doubts. He's not saying that you're a bad person. Peter doubted him and denied him three times and says, I don't even know this man. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, you evil, wicked sinner, get away from me. 
He actually says, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He brings him back in. He reinstates him. For the broken things that he did, he brings him back in. How about Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas basically says, I'm not going to believe Jesus is alive unless I put my hand gross through his wounds. Dude, do you not know that that's staph infection and all kinds of other stuff? That's disgusting. No, don't do that. But he does. And again, Jesus doesn't say, you evil, wicked person that doubts any time. He's like, no, I want you. A couple of times he says, ye have little faith. But he's like, dude, how much more do you need to see? You guys have all seen that have been in church for weeks, months, or years, the miracle of God. And you continue to go back on, is this really the, the way I'm supposed to live? I do the same thing all the time. It's like, gosh, how many miracles can really happen? And so here's the idea. Even in doubt, God still loves us. And he's okay with your doubt. He's bigger than your doubt. And let me give you some ways to get out of doubt. There's three ways Christians can stop doubting. And again, they're not all Satan. But it's us too. And the last part of the message is always the most important part. Because now, here's what's gone on. You guys have been here for an hour now. And now, you've, you've, you've calmed the beast with a few songs by Tara and Jeremy and now your heart is starting to hear and now you're quiet for the first time and it's taken you this long to just be at peace with God and so let me give you some application application means what you can take away and do today to change your life number one is read the Bible and listen I said this in first service so let me say it these are not rocket science applications the 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 walk of Jesus Christ is simple There's not all kinds of great commands. Love God and love others. That's it. That's really the message of the whole Bible. Love God, love others. That's all you got to do. But simple isn't easy. It's just simple. It's different. So here, these are simple, but they're not easy. Number one, read the Bible. I'm going to bring back that Easter application. You guys, if you were here on Easter, you'll remember that. But if not, you're going to be blown away. Number two, prayer journal. My friend Jeff Barnett, he used to be a pastor here. Now he went to move to Connecticut because he thought Connecticut was cool until the snow came. And he's like, Connecticut's not cool. It's cold, but it's not cool. Now he's in Missouri hoping that's going to work out. But he, he gave us a message once about prayer journal. And, and here's the thing about prayer journals. You need to understand about prayer journals. He, he gave a message one time, uh, and he basically said, you got to write down your prayers and see how many times God answers your prayers. And I was here, and I'm like, man, I haven't done that in a long time. And listen, I am the worst journaler of all times. You know, people love to give me journals as a, as a present. And, and I, I set my coffee on them. I just not, it's not my gift. It's not who I am. It's not what I do. I mean, they're really cool. I don't say anything, but I've regifted a couple. And so they've been a great gift. <laughs> you have one, I'm sure. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but if you have a prayer journal and you write down your prayers, and I'm learning this, I'm learning this today. I'm learning to journal. We're learning. Uh, write down this and here's what I found out I wrote down for a week all my prayers and you know what I read it in a month and God almost answered every one of those prayers some were long-term ones but you'll be surprised how many prayers are answered if you journal them and so write down a few today and see in back a week come back and get a donut and check and see how many answers because he answers prayers I promise you and uh, number three uh, uh, seek God now this is unapproved by anybody but me but 
Each one of these three things can be done by another person here. We have a friend, her name's Dawn. She goes to our church. She's written a book. And the book deals with all of this. But here's the thing. It's not for the beginning person. It's actually for someone that's pretty serious about their walk with Jesus Christ. That's going to put in the homework. That's a lot of work. But in the end, you will hear the voice of God. You will see God. There's tools. This book is incredible. She's going to have a class. It costs money for the book. And so that's what it's for. But there's some stuff out there. Come and see me, and I'd love to talk to you about it. I just know this will work because it's working on me. But it's not for the person that's going, eh, maybe I might try it. It's somebody that's going, I'm going to go seven weeks really hard after Christ and see if this will work. That's the person it's for. Okay. Read. Let's talk about reading. Here's what I said on Easter Sunday. If you read the Bible one or two days... Uh, and I'm talking one or two days a, a week, not one or two times a year, right? If you read the Bible one or two times, you don't get that much in your life. But if you read it three times, you see a little bit of movement. God starts to work. But here's the power. This is a recent survey. I said this on Easter. If you read the Bible four days or more, not a year, but a week, you will start to see the power. Listen to the numbers. Loneliness goes down 30%. Anger goes down 32%. Bitterness in a relationship. You bitter people, it'll go down 40%. Alcohol use, it doesn't mean that you're not going to quit drinking. It means that you're going to put down beer and, and whatever you're partaking in and, and you're going to have more, uh, more of God time because you're using him and understanding him. But here's the one I want to get to. Feeling spiritually stagnant goes down 60%. That's your doubt. That's the struggle. 60% it goes down. And finally, the last one, we don't want to talk about it because nobody in this church does it, but porn goes down 66% because you've got your, your hand and your heart in the word of God and not on the computer and anything else. That's by reading the Bible. But here's the numbers. In 2021, these are all recent surveys, about 50% of all Americans said they read 